We've been uh, exploring this theme together, and each week we've been kind of just continuing to focus in on the idea, which, by the way, has to acknowledge, firstly, that we're all on a journey. There's no doubt about that. And some of us, we might be here, we're on a journey, and we might say, you know what, I don't, faith is not part of my journey, okay? It's not re- I'm not really there. Maybe uh, we might be here for different reasons. Maybe we're I- at least exploring the possibility of faith being a part of our life story. That, that's one place we might be. Another place we might be might be the, actually the exact opposite, which is to say, you know what, I'm on a journey, and my faith is central. Everything else around my life, it, it rotates around this faith I have. Some of us, we might say, we're on neither extreme. We're somewhere in between. And wherever we're at, this is important for us to understand. When we talk about Jesus, and when we talk about a journey, a life journey, we will inevitably be challenged by Jesus to consider strongly what it's like to transition, to to transition out of a me-oriented way of life where everything revolves around me and embrace a, a mindset that's different, a we mindset that embraces and recognizes the need for others in our lives, specifically with regards to our faith. But it's certainly true in every other aspect. And this weekend, you may have noticed, we've been looking at this from different angles. This weekend, the the play on words is we need me. What does that mean? Well, it's a recognition that without each individual in a community, the fact of the matter is, there is no community. That in many ways, the community of faith Jesus has created, it functions best when each member recognizes their role in that community. That each individual is extremely important for what this journey is supposed to be about. Now, in the Bay Area right now, we find ourselves in sports in a rather exciting time. Warriors are one win from, you know, capitalizing on their their journey towards their second championship in three years. It's amazing. They're playing uh, a a great team in the Cavaliers that has, I think everyone would acknowledge, the greatest player of our generation in LeBron James. And that's no leap. But what people are considering is whether or not LeBron is the best player to ever have stepped on the court. Of basketball. And inevitably, they're comparing him to the gold standard, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan has become the gold standard of excellence. To say that somebody is a Michael Jordan in something is to say they are the best at whatever that discussion is. He is historically, I mean, one of the, he, he was amazing to watch. I remember when I was when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, watching him play and just do an amazing amount of different moves that just looked, they were awe-inspiring. I remember the commercials, and I would sing with them. I want to be. I want to be. I want to be like Mike. I remember being on the court, imitating his moves, sticking my tongue out, and (laughs) trying to fly. My teammates were wondering what I was doing, and (coughs) fell in love with the sport by watching this man show the art of it. We know him as the man who won six championships. He did it by winning three times in a row twice. 
after taking a break. An amazing feat. We know him as a remarkable player, highly competitive, played through flus and injuries and other obstacles. But if we know him as the Michael Jordan now, there was a day when he was not the Michael Jordan we know. And when he stepped onto the league, he was no question one of the most talented individuals to ever enter the NBA. There was no question about it. Every year he would set records for individual stats. He was able to demonstrate he was head and shoulders above anyone else on the court. That was never in doubt. What he was criticized early on was whether or not he could take his individual talent and utilize it to elevate his team to win the ultimate prize. And there were a lot of doubts as to whether or not he could do this. It was considered that he was far too selfish of a player, far too competitive to ever be able to help his teammates. The Chicago Bulls ended up releasing his coach and ended up hiring a man named Phil Jackson. And upon entering this organization, Phil's sole job, one of several, was to convince the star player, not just of this team, but of the NBA, to move out of me and to step into we. And as he's having this conversation, he recognizes he needs to acknowledge that this man is far too competitive to ever diminish his own skill or ability. But he wanted him to stretch out and incorporate others. And he ended up reading a piece of a poem written by Rudyard Kipling. We may recognize this from a movie but the poem is called The Law of the Jungle, and I thought I'd read a piece of it. He said this. He says, now this is the law of the jungle, as old and as true as the sky. And the wolf that shall keep it may prosper, but the wolf that shall break it must die. As the creeper that girdles the tree trunk, the law runneth forward and back, for the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. And after reading that excerpt to him, he says, I want you to recognize it's not about you diminishing yourself. It's about you recognizing the need for the pack. That conversation, it became the turning point in Jordan's career. Because after that season, after that conversation, that season became a season in which he started um, no longer training by himself with his own personal coaches. He started training with the rest of the club. And during practice, he started recognizing he had the ability to help his coach coach others. And when someone would be discouraged, he would encourage them. A word from him it couldn't be anything better. Others would leave stuff in the tank that they had more to, to give. And he would be the one who would challenge them to not leave anything and to leave it all on the court. And slowly he started gathering with his teammates. At mealtimes, he would sit with them. He would start asking them questions about their lives and their families. And he would start asking them about what schools they had gone to and what they had experienced. He started getting to know them. He started training with them. In the offseason, he asked them to join him. And together, he started to change the culture of a team that elevated an individual. And everyone else was second class. To a team 
that elevated a trophy where everyone played a role. Just so happens one of those teammates was a man named Steve Kerr, who just knows, he just right now finds himself coaching a team that now the discussion is, is it possible this is the greatest team that has ever been assembled? Ah, I happen to think so. <laughs> they have one win to go. But this is the principle. You know what he was talking about? This is the principle of interdependence. Some of us, we are very good at being independent. We are good at being independent because maybe the environment we were raised in or the, the climate we find ourselves in tells us that we must look out for ourselves. And if we don't, no one else will. We must elevate ourselves. If we don't, no one else will. Others of us, it's not necessarily that. It's that we are that good. That our skill and our talent and our strength gives us the capacity to shoulder tremendous weight. And we don't see the need for others. That's possible. Others of us, it's not independence that may be challenged. It's actually far too great a degree of dependence. Where the environment we find ourselves in sways us so easily. A lot of times we get in trouble, not because of what's going on within us, but of what's going on around us and the culture we inhabit and the friend group we become a part of or the relationships we cultivate, their approval ends up becoming a major source. We become far too dependent and easily swayed. You can see, either extreme is actually unhealthy. But to be able to own oneself and to be a part of a collective that is, in essence, what this faith community is supposed to be like. Both are necessary. Do you, do you understand? The strength of the pack is the wolf. The strength of the wolf is the pack. Ah, this is why I love the scriptures. I love the scriptures because they don't pretend this is easy. In fact, any letter in the New Testament addresses that, that is speaking to a church community, by and large, it is the apostle addressing a degree of dysfunction or disunity in a community, a church community. And with his love and his desire to see them strive together and thrive together, he ends up addressing them and, and speaking to them in a way that would help them see, we need me. Every single individual is extremely important for this to actually work. Otherwise, it is inhibited, and that presents different challenges. If we open up our handout, we'll go ahead and read through a passage found in the letter written to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12. And we'll just walk through this together. And we're told in verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. That's the way it is with Jesus. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. What we must understand is the apostle is writing to a community 
that is caught up in a rather extreme case of division, factions, cliques have been formed, and there is some degree of rivalry within that community. And so he says, you know what, let me give you an illustration of what this is supposed to be like, guys. It's like, look at, look at the human body. Look at the comp- composition of our anatomy. He says, we have many pieces to it. it we, we would say, that's one person. But we know upon closer inspection, which is amazing, given it was 2,000 years ago that he was writing this, we know one body is not one piece, but many functioning together. That's the way this whole thing is supposed to work. That's the way it's supposed to work, synergistically. Now, and then he says, he he ends up referring them to something. He says, but before we could go on further, we have to remember something. We have to remember where this all begins. We were in one spirit, we're baptized. Baptized is meant to be initiated. You were initiated under one spirit. And what does that mean? Well, he's not saying it here. He had said it earlier, but he is basically saying it all begins and ends with what Jesus did on the cross. On the cross, Jesus both paid for our need and gave for our need. That on the, at the cross, at the foot of the cross, every single one of them, this is what he's saying to them, every single one of us are equal. We are equal in our need and we are equal in our capacity to receive for our need. Right there. That is, that is what binds us. That is what connects us. And you know what he's saying? You know, he also says, he says, you know what doesn't connect us? It doesn't matter if we're Jewish or Greek, slave or free. What does that mean? It's not our ethnicity that connects us and binds us. And it's not our culture that connects us and binds us. That is not what we hold in common. And if that's the case, if it's not our ethnicity or our culture, you know what it also is? It? It's not our socioeconomic status. Translation, it's not how much money we have or where we reside on the ladder socially. Now, we might hear this, we're sitting in the city, San Francisco. We would say, man, he's ahead of his time. He's talking about diversity. We got this, we're good. But we have to understand something. He was addressing a culture that this was earth shattering because he was addressing a culture and a people group where one's ethnicity did limit where one could go, who could, one could relate with, what religion to practice. Ethnicity dictated. And if ethnicity didn't dictate, culture dictated what was right and what was wrong. And those were the winds that would prevail on each individual. And if we could think about this, he's writing in a time in history in which he is saying, listen, Can you think about the difference of a life, a person who is captive in slavery, and a life, a person who is free, lives? It's like night and day. But when you gather together, and you gather in the name of Jesus, for the first time in human history, a gathering was not made up of the unity of ethnicity, of culture, or class. For the first time, a slave would be in a gathering with a free person, and they would be equal. That is what binds you. It's what Jesus has done. That makes all of us equal. 
This is uh, an enormous shift that we are even sensing 2,000 years later. He says in verse 14, for, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. He, he's being somewhat sarcastic. Maybe you could see the humor in it, but he's being a little bit ridiculous. He's saying, if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? This is not how it works, guys. He's almost saying, listen, guys, uh, don't elevate one part of your community above every other. And in fact, don't, don't, don't just do that. Don't compare yourselves. And if you're not the part that is elevated, don't disqualify yourself and say, well, I guess I don't belong here. Because clearly that's the part that matters. And I'm not that part. He's saying, don't do that. Don't let your feeling of inadequacy or of not being celebrated or maybe we, we didn't go as far as say, of shame. Sideline you. Don't do that. On the other hand, he says, listen, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And so if on one hand, a group of people in that community are disqualifying themselves because they're not the ones that are being elevated, he's saying, don't do that. Don't let your inadequacy or your sense of weakness or your sense of shame sideline you. On the other hand, he's saying, and if you find yourself as the one who is elevated, if you find yourself as the one who is celebrated, don't, don't let your pride cause you to say, I have no need of we. It's all about me. Either extreme is unhealthy. Don't, don't do that. Shame or pride will sideline us. And he is saying, contend with that. Don't let that settle and have its way with you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. This is God's doing. That there may be no division. This works. We are unified. This is what he is saying but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, they all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And look at this. Now you, he would, he's saying this to them. You, we, we know the human body. You are like that. Your community is like that body of Jesus. And he would say, he said it to the people of Corinth. He would say it to us. In San Francisco. You are individually members of it. He is, among other things, not just calling them to recognize their need for each other and their individual roles within that community. You know what he's also saying? He's directly connecting. Listen. He's directly connecting the 
work of God in human history is dependent on the communities of faith to work together. That the movement God initiated through Jesus is now relying. He staked it. He bet on his people. He says, now it depends on your ability to work together. You must see this. And here we are, 2,000 years later. If we've ever been a part of a team, if we've ever been a part of a, a community, especially if we've ever been a part of a community of faith, you know what? It doesn't take long for us to start to recognize, whoa, some people here are not perfect. Hmm. And when we discover that, you know what? Some, some of us, we say, uh, I think I'm going to try to find another place uh, where they're all perfect. Um, we don't say that, you know, we think it. And um, others of us, when we're honest with ourselves, we might not just say, okay, some people here are not perfect. We might say, you know what? I'm not perfect. You know what? I got contradictions. You know what? I say things and then I do something else. You know what? I got stuff in me that's broken and jagged and edged. And if somebody touches it wrong, they'll get cut. There are sensitive sides to me that if someone touches it wrong, man, it hurts. And then I get mad. And then I got to say sorry. Or not. We, we have that. And we recognize this, right? We know this. I hope. And if we think about it, here we are. And throughout history, there's no doubt about it. The church of Jesus has done things that has grossly misrepresented his name. And throughout history, there have been things done that have disappointed him. No question about it. By people who call on his name with faith. No question. But you know what is miraculous? Jesus has never taken a step back from his commitment to his gatherings. That he continues to insist on staking not just his reputation, but what God longs to do in human history through people like you and me. And he remains committed to his gatherings. It's miraculous. Here we are. What does this mean for us? How might this actually challenge us to consider our journey? With God, yes with others as well. Firstly, I just want to put it up there. I put this in personal language because I know some of us take notes and I thought it'd be good for us to write it this way. But firstly, you know what Paul is saying? He's saying, we need me to keep my heart connected to his grace. We need me to keep my heart connected to his grace. This is what he's saying. It all begins and ends with what Jesus did for us. We must not forget this. And our role is to begin by connecting our heart to His grace. And to remember, it's not based on my performance, and it's not based on my capacities, and it's not based on my skill, it's not based on my qualities or my qualifications. It's based on His grace. Which, by the way, is what I think Proverbs actually is speaking to when it writes, when Solomon wrote, 
Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. A different translation says, guard your heart above all else, for out of it flow the issues of life. What is he saying? That many times, it's not what happens to us that ends up dictating how things end. It's how we respond to what happens to us. And that is dependent on the condition of our heart. So we must, this is, here's the piece no one else can do for us. We, mu- we need others, no question. But you know what? Others can't look out for our heart. We must own ourselves. We are the only ones who can watch our heart to that degree, which is extremely important. You know why? This is, this is by the way, why devotions are so, uh, just the key piece of our daily lives. Because we drift. Oh man, a day will come, we might start out good, we might end terrible because of what happened. I have found myself, as of late, grateful to be able to ride a motorcycle. And when I'm on it and the weather is good, like today, man, I'm happy because I'm on a motorcycle. And that's a good thing. I know, I can sense the concern. I receive your prayers. Uh, <laughs> but I'll find myself, you know, and I'll have my helmet and I have just music playing and it's just, it's good and I'm on the highway and it's sunny, it's beautiful scenery and I'm going and I feel free and I'm going straight and it's just, everything is good. And I'll tell you, there have been times where out of nowhere, it's invisible, but I feel it. A gust of wind will come at me that feels like somebody just ran into the freeway and tried to push me over. Except it's not a person, it's something far stronger. And it'll rattle me. And my bike's heavy, but it'll shake me up. It'll wake me up. Okay, uh, okay, not, not all fun and games anymore. There have been other times when I'll be riding, and a wind is so constant that in order to go straight, there is a need to lean in. If not, you know what happens? My bike starts to drift. And it's so easy for me to just drift into the next lane. Some of us, we are in situations that the winds around us are so strong. It is powerful what's going on. And man, are we having a hard time staying in our lane. And some of us, it's not the winds around us. It's actually the winds within us and the currents and the conflict and the frustration that is moving us. This is why for us to have a time of devotion where we bring our heart before God, you know what that does? It recalibrates us. And we bring ourselves before His Word. His Word becomes the plumb line by which we measure everything else if it's straight. And we say, God, here I am. Here are the things I, I, I have walked through. Here, here's the places that I've been. Would you please help me get back? Would you bring me back? Would you strengthen me? Would you realign me? And that's certainly something no one else can ever do for us. But if that's the case, you know, sometimes we might get into places where it's not just us getting ourselves back on track. We need someone else to help us. And we need somebody else. We need to be able to have the courage to be able to reach out and say, hey, hey, can you pray for me? 
hey, can you check in on me? Once in the week? Hey, you know what? I, um, I violated my conscience. And what I know God said is right. Will you pray that God heals me? Sometimes we, it's not so much that we doubt whether or not God forgives us, which he does. It's that we need another person to tell us and to hear those words through somebody else's lips. It is what will bring us back. The strength of the wolf is the pack. The strength of the pack is each wolf. Yeah, we... We need to keep our heart connected to His grace. If that's the case, we also, we need to be proactively discovering. If we could put it this way, we need me to proactively discover my role in His local church. We need to discover how we are uniquely made and why we are made the way we are according to what He wants to do in the community of faith. What, what is the, the makeup, the gift mix that he has given to us, the abilities that we have, the passions within our soul, the experiences that we have shared together and we have walked out that no one else would understand. And it has been said, you can't understand somebody unless you walk in their shoes. You can't do it. You know what? Sometimes no one else will ever understand why we had to walk through what we walked through. But you know what it will do? It will help us understand somebody else having to walk through their journey. And we will start to discover, oh, this is why. This is why I'm made the way I am. This is why I'm passionate about the things I'm passionate. This is why some things frustrate me. God, you are making me to fulfill a good work. To do something only I am supposed to do. A lot of times, we might think we're the odd ones out. The marginalized, the weird ones, the unconventional ones. We might feel that way. But it is in a local community of faith that we will discover, no, 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 God, God had a purpose and a reason. That when we say, I will move out of me and I will join up in what you are doing, we, I will start to discover this is what. This is why I'm, I'm the way I am. You understand that. There are people and good things some of you can do, some of us could never hope to do. We are all important. Look at this. Verse 22, what does it say? On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Indispensable. Do not think you don't matter. God has staked it all on every one of us. We are indispensable. If that's the case, you know what is also necessary? It's necessary that we come to this point. We need me to join the plan of God for the local church. The plan of God for the local church. And I got to tell you, I understand I, I, I really understand. I've had many conversations with different people and I understand the institution of church has fallen out of favor for many years now. And it's, it's met with skepticism. It's met with, I'm not sure I trust it. And you know what? There are reasons that are valid. There, there are reasons why. But 
God has insisted, he has insisted on continuing to demonstrate his grace through a people who admittedly have flaws and weaknesses and contradictions, who have, we, we all have pain points and wounds. We are all imperfect in one way or another. And if we understand this, we are each like a piece of a mosaic. A piece of a mosaic is uh, jagged, it's edgy, it's broken off of something larger. It, it has its weak points and it has its strong points. In itself, it kind of looks out of place. It, it doesn't really have a home. But when we decide to say, you know what, God, this is who I am. I'm messed up. I got contradictions. I got stuff. I got baggage. I, got all, I mean, this is who I am. I got strong points too. But here I am. And I come and I receive your grace for my life. And I move out of just, just you and me. I want, to be a part of, I want to be a part of a larger expression. You know what happens to us? Our peace it slots in. And His grace, our edges and our brokenness, it becomes an art piece that demonstrates His power and His ability to transform what we thought was ugly. And he, in Him, it becomes beautiful. Connected together, it becomes an ongoing movement. Wait, you know what happens? When we join with what he intends to do in this city, in this time in history, other broken pieces walk in through these doors and they find their home. Other points where, man, I thought, I didn't know where this fit in. We find it fits in. Where God's grace is able to demonstrate. Look, I love, I love to demonstrate how gracious and merciful and kind and forgiving and loving and tenacious I am of my commitment to my people. This is his movement. But his movement depends on our willingness to embrace. We, we need me. Each one of us, each one of us is necessary. The strength of the pack is the wolf. The strength of the wolf is the pack. In a moment, we're going to receive our time of giving. Closing song. I'd love to pray. Ask for his blessing. God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you meet us exactly where we're at. I thank you that you made each of us on purpose. And I thank you that you have created a purpose we will discover as we step into a place that calls on your name and we call it our home, a people group, a tribe, a pack. And together we become a beautiful expression your ongoing grace in this time in history in this city that we love would you give us the courage to do it we ask for you to prevail over our lives for you to be honored in jesus name amen <laughs>